You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Hundreds of drivers stranded for hours after a multi vehicle crash on the Coquihalla this afternoon. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. That pileup shutting down the highway south of Merritt for most of the day. Several vehicles, including big rigs, were involved. As many as nine people were taken to hospital. Catherine Urquhart has more on where this happened and if weather was a factor. It was about noon and conditions on the Coquihalla were treacherous. Suddenly, motorists started losing control of their vehicles just south of Merritt near the Coldwater Interchange. We managed to stop, just barely, uh, pulled in behind a couple of other vehicles. And then I looked in the rearview mirror and saw another semi coming behind. And um, obvious that he couldn't stop. And I tried to pull over into the side lane, but because of the ice, I couldn't get going. And um, the semi, I believe, hit a car behind me, which hit me, although I'm not even certain what all happened. But we went into a chain and I hit a vehicle in front of me and, um, yeah. The multi-vehicle crash, which involved at least two semi-trailers, sent four people to hospital. Their injuries not life-threatening. The Coquihalla Highway was closed in both directions. We knew there's always, always the possibility of this on the Coquihalla, but there was no real warning that there was anything uh, bad. I mean, uh, the signs were saying caution, uh, slippery. Uh, again, pretty standard for this time of year. Uh, so there was nothing that made us think it was going to be particularly worse than than other times. Just after 5 p.m., the highway was reopened in both directions. But with heavy snowfall in the forecast, motorists are being urged to consider delaying travel plans until later in the week. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. As you can see, snowy, slippery conditions up there, and we could soon see some of that at lower elevations. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with a look at what's coming tomorrow. Christy. Thanks so much, Soph. Well, the storm is just now starting to push in, as you can see here. Now, it will start off as rain through the overnight period, but tomorrow it will transition to snow as those elevations start to drop. Initially, lower elevations, zero to five centimeters. Now, keep in mind, with these type of scenarios, it's always a wide range of amounts that we see across the lower mainland, so you want to keep tuning in. Higher elevations are the ones we're concerned about with the majority of the snowfall, but it's these three zones here that we're mainly concerned about for the south coast, that southeastern corner of Vancouver Island, Fraser Valley and Squamish up towards Whistler. All right, Christy, we'll talk to you in a bit. Now to that Amtrak passenger train that derailed and crashed onto the I-5 during the busy morning rush. There are dozens of injuries and several people were killed. It was the inaugural run of the high-speed service along this new route from Seattle to Portland. A team of investigators now trying to determine what caused the train to hurtle off the tracks as it approached the overpass. Ted Chernecki has more on how it all unfolded. Oh, oh my God! Rush hour commuters northbound on the I-5 came around a curve and couldn't believe what they were looking at. The frantic radio call from the train crew. 501, emergency, emergency, emergency. We are on the ground. We were coming around the corner to take the bridge over I-5 there, uh, right north into Squally, and we went on the ground. Is everybody okay? I'm still figuring that out. We got cars everywhere and down onto the highway. Only one tail-end diesel engine remains on the track. The head engine is in the middle of the I-5. Incredibly, at 7.40 in the morning, only five vehicles and two semis were hit. 
when we got to the scene, it was obvious that there were some fatalities and there were a lot of injuries and some people were able to get off the train. Incredibly, no one died on the I-5, but on the train, 78 passengers and five crew members. There are multiple fatalities. Hours later, rescue crews still couldn't get into some of the cars to look for more victims. We could hear and feel the, um, the cars crumpling and, uh, and, and breaking apart, and uh, water came out from, from, from the ceiling. And then all of a sudden, I just feel a whole bunch of, like, turning and rocking of the train, and um, I just grabbed onto the chair in front of me for dear life. There was a sound of gas that popped open a couple windows to help get some airflow through it, so we weren't breathing in everything. This was the inaugural run of Amtrak Train 501, a controversial decision to use different tracks at a speed of up to 140 kilometers an hour. Only two weeks ago, the mayor of neighboring Lakewood warned that this would be an accident waiting to happen. Come back when there is that accident and try to justify not putting in those safety aspects. As the train continued south of Tacoma, something caused it to derail at a curve that takes the tracks over the I-5. There are video cameras, one looking at the engineer and the other out his window, but the National Transportation Safety Board considers these the equivalent of flight data recorders and won't release their contents possibly for months. Ted Chernecki, Global News. And U.S. President Donald Trump is accused of playing politics with the tragedy. His first tweet referencing the crash says the train accident that just occurred in DuPont, Washington, shows more than ever why our soon-to-be-submitted infrastructure plan must be approved quickly. Critics slamming Trump for insensitivity, especially since crews were still digging through the rubble at the time. Trump quickly followed that up with a second tweet offering prayers for those involved and thanking first responders on scene. And we'll go live to the scene for the very latest on the investigation and what happens next a little later on the news hour. RCMP are investigating a suspected child abduction attempt in Revelstoke. A 12-year-old girl reported a man drove up beside her on the way to school, telling her he was there on her mother's behalf to bring her home. The man exited his vehicle and the girl ran for help. The man is described as 5 feet 11 inches tall, 30 to 40 years old, possibly First Nations, wearing a black Carhartt-style jean jacket and black hooded sweater. He was in a small, newer-style black four-door car with an unknown circular sticker on the rear window on the driver's side. Anyone who has information is asked to call Revelstoke RCMP. And New Westminster police are asking for your help to find 10-year-old Aidan Doubleman, last seen today at about 3.30 in the 1400 block of Dublin Street. He has apparently run away from his caregiver, and police say he knows how to use SkyTrain and buses. He was last seen wearing a blue and white striped sweater with blue jeans, camouflage boots, and was wearing a Minions backpack. Well, two big announcements from the provincial government today. First, effective immediately, the grizzly bear hunt is banned. Not just in the Great Bear Rainforest, which was brought in over the summer, but now the trophy hunt is banned for the entire province. Tanya Beja has reaction. Grizzlies are now off limits to hunters in this province. Protecting this iconic species is simply the right thing to do. The provincial government announcing an immediate and total ban for everyone except First Nations who can continue to hunt grizzlies for food, social, ceremonial or treaty rights. This announcement on grizzly bears is fantastic. It's fantastic news and it's a great job. The move comes after extensive public consultation. Nearly 80% of respondents supported an end to the hunt. 
we were losing on average about 285 grizzly bears a year. Um, that stops as of today. But for the ban to be effective, environmentalists want the province to keep a closer eye on poachers. Uh, the Conservation Officer Service has been gutted in the last uh, two decades, and I think they're certainly still going to have to put more boots on the ground in terms of enforcement. We know we're understaffed, and uh, I won't uh, pre-shadow the February budget, but we'll be happy to talk about it at that time. BC's Guide Outfitters Association feels the ban is political, not based on science. I am genuinely disappointed, right? So because I have members, uh, friends of mine that have been in this business for generations, uh, and this will hurt them financially, and there's no reason for it. But conservationists say the bear viewing business can bring in 15 times more revenue than bear hunting. This is an export business. This is people coming from all over the world, leaving money in British Columbia and leaving without dead bears. Part of a new approach to wildlife management, the province says, begins now. Tanya Beja, Global News. And now to the other major announcement today from the province. The government moving ahead with plans to build a new hospital in Surrey. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this, on this story. Keith, it's good news, but this, there's a long way to go before a new hospital is actually up and running. Yeah, and I'm sure Surrey residents are, are getting impatient with getting this going. This has been on the books off and on for years. But today, Adrian Dix uh, making the latest okay. cabinet minister we can, to... Uh, we, can, we can hear you, Keith, but we can't see you. So we're going to get that sorted out, and we'll uh, check in with you uh, a little bit later when we do that. Uh, apologies for those technical difficulties. All right. In the meantime, another longtime business on Robson Street is closing its doors. And sky-high increases in property taxes are being blamed. Aaron MacArthur has more on the numbers that business owners say are making things impossible right now. Aaron. Yeah, Chris, uh, Vancouver residents were given a bit of a shock last week when property taxes went up by 4%. For business owners, that's nothing. They could see 20, 30, 40% increases in their property taxes. And for businesses in the West End, their taxes have gone through the stratosphere. The window display at Chocolate Moose says it all. The owners, none too pleased with the tax men, and why would they be? Their tax bill skyrocketed this year, a 93% increase. This little shop in the heart of the West End has to fork over 130 grand in property taxes alone. We might as well turn our pockets inside out and just let the money fly in the wind because it's all going to tax. The reason for the drastic jump is literally thin air. The land the shop sits on has been upzoned as part of the West End community plan. So much of the area will be turned into skyscrapers, BC Assessment says the land value has skyrocketed. The lot value at the Chocolate Moose, now more than $50 million. Commercial real estate experts have been demanding fairer distribution, saying governments have to stop taxing future residential land at current commercial rates. The incentive to have small business in these buildings is going away and and these businesses are going away and they can't, they can't afford to be in Vancouver for many reasons and one is taxation. A recent survey of small business owners shows the extent of the damage being done. 70% of respondents said their taxes went up by 20% or more in the last three years. It's forcing a lot of owners just to close the doors. Commercial property tax agents like Paul Sullivan say the way taxes are calculated needs to change. You're going to see 20, 30, 50% property tax increases on a lot of our community retailers. And I think the residents of Vancouver want these types of businesses. And this is going to be a major problem to solve. Chocolate Moose will be here for another year. 
The lease expires in February 2019. In the meantime, the owners are going to be digging deep to stay afloat. Now, the owners of the Chocolate Moose have to pay the $130,000 tax bill for this year. They have little choice. They don't want to break the lease. But the shoe is, other shoe is yet to draw. BC assessment on January 1st will likely reassess the building at a higher rate. And that gets directly translated into higher property taxes for the business owners. Chris, Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Aaron. But first, let's return to that deadly crash south of Seattle involving an Amtrak passenger train. It jumped the tracks while traveling on a newly opened high-speed route. NBC's Jennifer Bjorklund is live near the crash scene tonight. Jennifer, thanks for joining us. What's the situation there right now? Right now, they're still trying to uh, get this cleaned up and get these train cars off of I-5. Uh, the southbound lanes, which have been closed all day, uh, get them into a warehouse so they can have the NTSB look into what happened. They'll be looking very closely at the tracks as well. This morning, it was the very first time that this train, the 501 line, had ever run on these tracks. It's a new bypass line from Seattle to Portland, uh, just 40 miles into the trip, and 13 of those 14 cars jumped off the track as it was coming to the bridge to cross over the freeway. Uh, there were about 100 people transported to the hospital. We're told 80 passengers and five crew members were among those transported, and they were able to confirm three fatalities uh, on board that train as well. No one in the cars below uh, was injured, so uh, that's a bit of good news, but the bad news is the cleanup is going to take a very, very long time, and also many, many critical injuries we're hearing from the hospital, so uh, unfortunately, Sophie, that death toll could rise. Yeah, just awful uh, visuals of the scene that we were seeing come in all day. Jennifer, you mentioned investigators on the scene. What do we know at this point about a possible cause? Well, there's, there's a lot of talk about different things that could have gone wrong. One thing we do know is the speed of the train was probably higher than it should have been going into that curve. Uh, all the trains are outfitted with something called positive train control, which is supposed to slow down the train in case the engineer doesn't do it manually. Uh, but unfortunately, these tracks being brand newly renovated, that had not been activated yet and wasn't supposed to be until early next year. So a lot of questions here, Sophie. Definitely. All right. Thanks for that. Jennifer Bjorkland joining us from south of Seattle tonight. For years, Canadians have complained about being gouged when it comes to their cell phone plans. But a new war among carriers is bringing prices down to levels unheard of in Canada. Grace Key has the details. Just in time for the holiday season, a cell phone price war is heating up. It's created a shopping frenzy with long wait times for customers wanting to jump in on the deal. There's a line everywhere. A woman I talked to yesterday was on the phone for two hours with TELUS. And then uh, my husband just tried going online to help me, um, but their website's down or something. So I think it's just like overload. In October, Shaw's Freedom Mobile offered a $50 plan with 10 gigabytes of data. On Thursday, Rogers and its sub-brand Fido fought back, offering 10 gigabytes for $60 a month for customers in Alberta, B.C. and Ontario. TELUS and its sub-brand Kudo and Bell soon jumped on the bandwagon. Depending on the wireless companies, some customers say making the switch has been a challenge, but experts say the key is persistence. I recommend they get through to the loyalty people. Um, it's called customer loyalty department. Mm. So it's the, you know, hey, I'm thinking of moving over because I can get this great deal. What can you do for me? And they do have leeway on additional offers that they can offer to you. 
The federal government has tried to open up the market without much success. In 2014, Ottawa started auctioning off more wireless spectrum. That's the airwaves company used to send their signals. The question now is the current price war, a short-term upset or the start of competitive pricing. We seem to have a lot of trouble in Canada creating that kind of environment. So again, the cynical marketers speaking up here. I'll believe it when I see it. With Canadians paying some of the highest rates for data, customers are clamoring to ring in the new year with a new plan. The prices are really good. I mean, we haven't seen prices like this uh, in a lot of years. If I can get the deal, I'll get it for sure. Yeah. Good for competition. You want to act quickly. Most deals end on Tuesday. Grace Key, Global News. Now let's go back to Keith Baldry in Victoria with the other major announcement today from the province. Uh, Keith, Surrey is getting a new hospital. The question is when and where? Yeah, the fact we had a technical problem is sort of in keeping with the tradition of this, uh, this project, Sophie, because it's been promised for a long time, off again, on again, delays. Uh, today, Adrian Dix, the health minister, offering no details in terms of location or cost, making the point that very soon Surrey is going to be the most populated city in this province, and it desperately needs a new hospital to complement Surrey Memorial. Here's Adrian Dix. It's going to be the biggest city in British Columbia by 2045. But it is also a place that isn't just judged from the fact that it's gone from 97,000 people in 1971 to over 500,000 today, with perhaps um, several hundred thousand more people in the next three decades. It's grown by 100,000 people a decade since the 1970s. So even with that uh, pressing need, it's still going to take a long time for that hospital to actually open for business. Six to ten years is on average the time required to build a hospital the size of what is anticipated to be in Surrey. Still, still a lot of time has to go by yet. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. A somber procession through the streets of Richmond today as firefighters from across Canada honoured a fallen comrade. As John Waugh reports, the death of Captain Donald Congus is one of the first to be recognised as the result of work-related post-traumatic stress. In rows, they march. Every step in recognition of a hidden risk firefighters face on the job. One that claimed Donald Brian Congus's life. And in the end, uh, it was the PTSD that got him. It just he uh, he couldn't take it anymore. This full honor service comes four months after Congus's death in August. His family choosing to wait for WorkSafe BC to rule it a work-related death. We knew in our hearts that it was going to be accepted, and and waiting was the right thing to do. But very stressful. The 44-year-old dedicated more than two decades of his life protecting others. It was in the early years the man known for his good humor was gripped by the demons that came with what he had seen. He was an energetic person, he was loving. Some of the things that changed for him were, were the, with PTSD were almost the exact opposite. But Congus's struggles came during a time when PTSD wasn't part of the conversation. His work-related death helping douse the belief in this province that firefighters can just tough it out. Now the Firefighters Association is in discussions with WorkSafe BC about adding PTSD to its presumptive coverage. Because while proving a physical injury happened on the job might seem straightforward, doing the same for a psychological one can be painful and onerous for the individual and their families. But WorkSafe BC says it's unable to comment on those discussions at this time. Hopefully this will help others in the future, um, you know, if unfortunately they do pass away from post-traumatic stress disorder related injuries that, that they could happen quicker. Recognition of Brian Congus's sacrifice also means supporting the wife and four children he leaves behind. 
More importantly, it's about giving a proper goodbye to a fellow firefighter whose dedication to saving others continues even in death. John Hua, Global News. Canada's self-proclaimed Prince of Pot and his activist wife have been fined and put on probation after pleading guilty today in Toronto to drug-related charges. Mark and Jody Emery pleaded guilty to possession of marijuana for the purpose of trafficking and possession of proceeds of crime. Their arrest at Toronto's Pearson International Airport in March was followed by coordinated raids of their cannabis culture dispensaries in several cities, including Vancouver. They've each been fined $150,000 plus a $45,000 victim surcharge and given two years probation. It's one of the biggest modern-day threats to our personal security, and it's especially dangerous at this time of the year. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrew, is here with a timely warning about identity theft. Mm -hmm. Millions of people are targeted every year, thanks you too. According to Canada's Department of Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness, identity theft is one of the fastest-growing crimes in Canada. Whether it's gaining your personal information through a phishing scam or simply stealing from your mailbox, identity theft can lead to serious consequences and emotional distress. I would have never thought, never, that you could do that much damage with just a care card. Daniela Evrars is a victim of identity theft. Her care card stolen when a thief broke into the community mailbox just meters from her home. Because she knows my address, she knows my my name, my birthday. She is the suspect. Police eventually tracked down and arrested. Still, Daniela's life has been turned upside down. Within two weeks of having her care card stolen, the thief managed to drain $2,400 from Daniela's bank account, attempted to apply for two loans, and sign up for at least 10 credit cards. You hear about this in the news, but you never expect it's going to be you. Sadly, the cybersecurity expert says identity theft is happening far too often. It's a lot more prevalent than people think. In fact, millions of identities are stolen every year. Identity thieves are after your personal information, including your name, date of birth, social insurance number, mother's maiden name, credit card information, and passport number. And once they have that info, criminals can apply for credit cards, loans, make purchases online, access bank accounts, even collect government benefits. Always be careful with your identity information. So it could be as simple as covering your PIN when you're using your your bank card and credit card to carrying a limited number of cards with you Um, online. Be careful what, what you register your personal information with. Also, make sure you regularly change your passwords online and only use websites and companies you know and trust. If you do fall victim to identity theft... The first thing anyone should do is report the information to Equifax and to TransUnion. Those two organizations handle all of the credit requests. Exposed and and not not safe at all. As for Daniela, her days now preoccupied with minimizing the damage this crime has caused. Now, the good news is Daniela was able to get some of her money back. Of course, if you do become a victim of identity theft, you'll want to report it to police, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre and Service Canada if your social insurance number or passport has been stolen. Also, make sure to monitor your bank accounts closely and check your credit card statements on a regular basis for any suspicious transactions. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters@globalnews.ca. Today's Amtrak train crash near Tacoma has some questioning the viability and safety of a potential high-speed rail link between Vancouver and Seattle. 
It's an idea that gained traction after a recent visit by Washington State Governor Jay Inslee. And as Sonia Deal reports, there are lessons to be learned from today's tragedy. Carnage on the I-5. What was meant to be a successful first journey for an Amtrak train, ending with part of it dangling over the highway and crashing at the height of the morning rush hour. Multiple dead and dozens sent to hospital. This was Amtrak's first passenger service running on a new shorter route. The idea of getting passengers to their destinations quicker was something that Washington State's governor was also pushing for in Victoria a few weeks ago. I will just tell you, uh, I'm bullish about this corridor. But his vision to have trains go even faster than the one involved in today's horrific crash. The idea to have a high-speed service running from Vancouver to Seattle to Portland. Growth potential will be accelerated to the extent that we can travel uh, in an hour rather than three hours in safety and comfort. While politicians are focused on the economic benefits, experts are saying it's safety that really needs a stronger look. The faster the train, the greater the risk. If there is a derailment, it's more severe. That's the key. You're already going so fast that if the train is going to fly off the track, it's going to fly off at high speed and have an impact when it hits the ground again. High-speed trains across Europe and countries like Japan and China, though, generally have a good safety record. But that is where another factor comes into play. Dedicated tracks that usually run in straight lines and built away from highways. It has less interaction with other uh, modes of transportation. That's number one. Number two, because it's uh, dedicated, you won't have any interaction with other trains. And that's exactly what's being proposed in a new report released by the Washington State Department of Transportation, a project costing $54 billion and with what could be decades before it's in place, plenty of time for governments to make sure nothing like today ever happens again. Sonia Diol, Global News. The latest information on the mysterious deaths of a Toronto billionaire and his wife is raising more questions than answers. Police have confirmed that Barry and Honey Sherman died from ligature neck compression, essentially strangulation. Police sources say the two were found by a realtor on Friday hanging from a railing around their lap pool. Homicide investigators have taken over the case now. The family is strongly rejecting rumors of a murder-suicide. And the power is back on at the world's busiest airport, but the chaos is far from over. Either one of these lines or one of these lines. Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson Airport is back up and running after being completely shut down yesterday by a power outage caused by a fire. More than 1,100 flights canceled yesterday, more than 400 today. Thousands of passengers are still trying to get out, and of course the ripple effect is hitting other airports across the country right as millions travel for the holidays. Well, to no one's surprise, the latest Star Wars movie soared to great heights at the weekend box office. I've seen this raw strength only once before. It didn't scare me enough then. It does now. The Last Jedi racked up Canada's second biggest opening weekend ever. Blockbuster brought in $17 million in Canada, second only to The Force Awakens back in 2015. Across North America, it pulled in more than $220 million and topped $450 million worldwide. 
A New Brunswick couple is spending their first night apart in more than 70 years. And while no one denies the separation is medically necessary, family and friends say the timing is cruel. Herbert and Audrey Goodine were forced to say a tearful goodbye on Monday morning. <laughs> For the first time in 73 years, the couple have been separated a week before Christmas. I feel it was very cruel. It's unethical and it's cruel. This is not the happiest time of my life. He said it left me with my wife and up where I was. My mom said, why could it not wait till after Christmas? 91-year-old Herbert was moved from his New Brunswick special care home where he was living with his 89-year-old wife, Audrey. His dementia is getting worse, and administrators say he needs more advanced care in a nursing home. The timing is horrible. Like, I, I had just really wanted an extension to get them through till I picked them up for Christmas. An official with the special care home said this was out of their hands. She was just following the rules. Legally, I have to comply with the rules and regulations of social development. It may take up to a year, but at some point they should be reunited if, of course, if they, if they live that long. Herbert is now trying to settle in to a temporary single bed at a nursing home. You come in a room all by yourself, why it don't make you feel too happy. Herbert will be reunited with Audrey at Christmas when they both go to their daughter's home for the holidays. He can't wait to see her again. Shelley Steves, Global News, Plaster Rock. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge releasing their holiday family photo. After the forecast, we'll tell you why everyone is buzzing about little Princess Charlotte. So cute, the two of them. Uh, well, we saw some terrible weather up on the Coquihalla, and yes. that may be spreading <laughs> over the next few hours. Here's Christy with a look at your forecast. Hey, Christy. Hi, you guys. Thanks so much. So, yes, key is that across the south coast, when we have snow events, they're highly variable from area to area, just even neighborhood to neighborhood. So always tune back in. Here's the general trend. It's already hit the Coquihalla. We know that. But the rain is just starting to push in across the south coast. So we'll see majority of it as rain overnight tonight and through the morning hours uh, as well. But during the day tomorrow, at some point, those freezing levels will begin to drop. And that's when we'll start to see the transition. The areas that will see snow first will be the higher elevations. Lower elevations, some areas, it may continue as rain or just wet snow, and you may not see any accumulation. So that's why it will be highly variable. But zero to maybe five centimeters over higher elevations across all of these areas. But as I mentioned earlier, there's three key areas that we're concerned about, and that is the southeastern corner of Vancouver Island. Nanaimo, all the way towards Duncan, especially areas away from the water, higher elevations like the Malahat. Also, the Fraser Valley. We think that the, the freezing levels will drop all the way down to the surface. Abbotsford out towards Hope. Hope really getting hit quite hard. And then also the, uh, the sort of upper levels, Squamish up towards Whistler region. Those are the areas that will see the significant snowfall amounts. But again, lower elevations, or sorry, lower mainland regions will see a range as well. And you could see, even if it's just slushy snow, it could 
be tough driving, so make sure you're careful on the roads. Meanwhile, across the north, the Arctic air now starting to plummet in across the province. So cold and dry for you. The snow is across all of these southern regions. So highs of zero degrees mostly. Most areas not making their way up above the zero mark. So here's how much snow. 15 to 25 centimeters. So that's beginning tonight and through the day tomorrow. Highways could see up to 30 centimeters of snow. And the one area we're really concerned about is the Kootenai area. 25 plus centimeters of snow for your area. Now that is all tomorrow, everyone. Wednesday, all areas will see a bit of a break. But then Thursday, we have the possibility of flurries once again. And from there, dry but cold right through until Christmas. Happy birthday to Barry Cotton. He's celebrating 100 years. And our weather window, a beautiful fox, thanks to Shay in Quinnell. There you go, How did guys. you get so close? Yeah, super neat. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Christy. It's the family holiday photo making headlines around the world for more than the obvious reason. Kensington Palace released this year's official picture of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, along with Prince George and Princess Charlotte. And if you're wondering why Kate has no baby bump in that picture, it was actually taken before the announcement that they were expecting their third child. The other thing that has the Internet buzzing is the fact that little Charlotte seems to bear a striking resemblance to her great-grandmother, none other than Queen Elizabeth. Now, there... Are you sure? Well, she does. The photo that of Queen Elizabeth, this one... Not quite as close as I've seen other ones. Looking oh, okay. Charlotte, oh yeah. okay. Yeah, they've picked one that it no happens. Black and white, it's yeah. yeah, hard to tell. What's the queen holding in her hand there? Do you see a little ball? Know. No. Some sort of orb. I don't know what's going on there. It's a royal, or the royal the orb. The royal. The Christmas ornament. Something like that, yes. <laughs> Bandwagon's getting a little. Mm, Wheels are coming Slowing off. down a little bit. <laughs> well, it's kind of hit a telephone pole. <laughs> Uh-oh. And a few people are hurt. Mm-hmm. That's basically what's happened to the Canucks bandwagon. Um, it looks like, though, the Canucks caught a huge break when it comes to Brock Besser's foot or ankle because doctors found he did not break any bones last night. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't still damage, but it could very well just be a very bad bone bruise, which obviously is a lot better than a fracture, although we still are not sure how long he'll be out for. It wasn't a big slap shot that brought Besser down. It was a Giordano wrist shot. But with the way the sticks are nowadays, every shot is a hard shot. And getting in the way is a risky maneuver. Big props to the players when they do that. But here's something. The Canucks are the fifth best power play right now in the league. But their top three power play goal scorers are now all hurt. Why didn't the referee blow the whistle? I still don't understand that. All right. uh, Besser being out means Reed Boucher is in. The more Vancouver gets hurt, the more Utica it becomes. Although he seems to have trouble staying in shape. Boucher can score a little bit. He has five goals in 27 games with the Canucks. That was last season. 13 and 25 in the AHL this season. Former junior teammate of Nikolai Goldobin and the Habs, Alec Galchenyuk and Sarnia. And Boucher outscored both of those men when he was there. And speaking of Galchenyuk, the Canadians are in town tomorrow to play the Canucks. And for a few Habs, coming to Vancouver is a homecoming. Carey Price, Shea Weber, although he won't play tomorrow, Jordy Ben, Carl Alsner, all BC-born players. And then, of course, there's Brendan Gallagher, the Habs' current leading scorer, who is one of the great Vancouver Giants. And I still don't know how the Canucks didn't draft this kid, especially considering he lasted until the fifth round in 2010.
The stick, Brendan Gallagher will grab it and takes off down the wing. He's on his own as Gallagher scores! He's just one of those guys that works hard, and when you work hard and you compete in, in those uh, dirty areas, a lot of times you get rewarded, and that's what he's he's doing, and that's why he's getting rewarded right now. And right now, there's no better player for the Montreal Canadiens than Brendan Gallagher. He scored a team-leading 13 goals and 19 points while skating in every game for Montreal this season. This after he battled injuries for two straight years. Uh, you know, a little bit is just you know fortunate timing. Um, a lot of it is just you know I feel healthy, been able to be consistent, which is a big thing for me. And you know the body's held up pretty well, so you know still a lot of the season left to go. But so far, so good. With Gallagher, what you see is what you get. All five foot nine inches of him is heart. He's a guy that never stops working. A player coaches love to put on the ice in all situations. And to think the Canucks passed over Gallagher in the fifth round of the 2010 NHL entry draft. Vancouver wasted their pick on Adam Polasek, who never played a single NHL game and is currently playing in the KHL. On Tuesday, Gallagher will skate in his 358th NHL game. He's a guy that, as you mentioned, comes to play every game, uh, gets his nose dirty and gets rewarded for it, scores goals and in areas that not everybody wants to go score goals from, but uh, you know he gives it everything he's got every game. This is Gallagher's sixth NHL campaign. It's also shaping up to be his best. At his current scoring pace, he'll easily eclipse his career high of 24 goals. There's been nights where uh, you get a couple bounces, but there's also been nights where you feel like you're getting the chances and they're not going in. You just... It's the way I've always measured my game. As long as just the offensive chances are there and uh, you're spending more time in the offensive zone than the defensive zone, usually at the end of the night you can be proud of yourself and the effort and you try to do that every game. And, and I think that's sustainable. Jay Janower, Global Sports. BC Lions have named Rick Lilacour as their uh, new president. He used to be the president with the Edmonton Eskimos from 2002 to 2011, so he knows the CFL. He is the Lions' 30th team president. So what is happening to the Canucks is basically what is happening to the Seattle Seahawks. They have more injuries than they can deal with, and now it's causing them to lose. Things got so bad yesterday against the Rams, even Russell Wilson couldn't save them. That was the first time since Russell Wilson became the quarterback that the Hawks lost a home game by more than seven points. And it was the worst loss ever for Pete Carroll in Seattle. They were shattered by the Rams, 42-7. And in some ways, we probably should have seen this coming. Sooner or later, the Hawks just have too many star defensive players missing. I think anytime you lose great players, it's not like you're just losing anybody. You're losing Cam Chancellors, Richard Sherman's, Bobby Wagner's, KJ Wright. These are all pro brothers, Cliff Averill. And so you got a lot of young guys in there, and there's no excuse, but because it's the NFL and it's your opportunity, you got to be able to go out there and, and make the play. And for us, we just got to get the young guys and the older guys to be on the same page. Well, we tackled poorly. Um, uh, and, and you know, we, there's there's a play there where we miss three tackles in a row. Sometimes we play a game we don't miss three tackles in a whole game. Um, we're all in one play. Rick Lalashure, that's Got it. the new Lions president. Jay Durant, formerly in Edmonton, he knows about him. Well done. Thanks, Squire. Well, last month we told you about a special holiday gift program aimed at people who are often forgotten, seniors with little or no family support. Today, London Drugs delivered gifts to seniors at Vancouver's Mount St. Joseph Hospital. London Drugs customers were asked to pull Christmas cards off the Christmas trees at the stores, each card listing the Christmas wish of a senior, and then buy those gifts while the stores did the rest.
it's it's a huge thing for us. Uh, a lot of people in the store got involved in it. It's just it's uh, nice to bring joy to them. So a lot of them don't have families here, so it's uh, it's perfect for us. These are residents that are a huge part of this community. They've spent their lives here, their working lives, and raised their family. So to receive this community sport this time of year for them is fantastic. When they can't always go out to the community, it's amazing when the community comes to them.